This audio session is taken from the Shofar Bible School first year course. You can register for the full Bible School course by visiting our Shofar online store at www.shofaronlinestore.org. The topic for this session is The Power of Integrity. It is part of Module 16, Habitual Sins. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another session of Bible School. It has been an incredible journey thus far, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed Bible School and are enjoying Bible School and just digging into the Word of God as much as we as lecturers have enjoyed preparing the material and just sharing the Word with you. And I must say it's a tremendous privilege and a great joy for me to be able to, to share the Word during Bible School. I personally just learned so much. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest blessings that God gives us to be able to, to share the Word and teach the Word. And it really is one of the times when you learn the most. And so I just want to encourage you as well. Um, try to make use of every opportunity that you have to teach someone else some of the truths that you have received, because it is as we teach that really the Word becomes a, a much bigger reality in, in us as well. And that's our desire for you. Uh, and I'm sure you know that by now that we will not just uh, be receiving the Word, but that we will also be sharing the Word with those around us, even if it is with those in your, in your house, maybe some of your friends at school. Um, start small, share a verse with them, share one concept with them, and I guarantee you it's going to bless you as much as this has blessed me. And I have the, the joy today to uh, dig into uh, this module. It's module 16. Understanding myself, we still um, centered within this aspect of a Bible school curriculum that deals with just trying to help us to get to a better understanding of who we are. Who did God create us to be? Who are we as humans? And what does it take for us to live meaningful lives? And so what we're going to do within this module, we're going to have three sessions. And uh, within uh, these sessions, we are going to look at how can we, uh, as human beings created in God's image and yet living in a fallen world, how can we live as victorious believers, more than conquerors through Christ who loves us and do that specifically within the context of habitual sin? How can we break free from the power of habitual sin? How can we live on a plane higher than what the devil wants us to live at? And so I'm excited about this journey and I wanna pray for you quickly. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who have joined us today or tonight. God, as part of a class, as part of maybe just this fellowship group at home or maybe by themselves, Lord. And I thank you that your presence is with us. I thank you, God, that you are the great teacher. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, today I pray that you will do what we know you do best, and that is to remind us of the words of Jesus that you bring revelation to the words on paper. And so, Lord, I want to commit each student into your hands. I thank you for their journey thus far, and I thank you for the incredible journey that we can be on together to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so when we, when we look at the whole aspect of humanity, we look at who are we, who did God create us to be, we understand that from the word go, there are two fundamental concepts that we understand to be true to our nature uh, in the way that God has created us. And the first one is we understand because we are created in God's image, 
we have been created to live in covenant, right? to live in covenant with God. Uh, and what is that? Covenant simply is this, the space that God has created for us in which we can live in a lifelong relationship. Right? So it's when we stand uh, uh, in front of the minister, when we get married and we say for better or for worse, till death do us part. Covenant is the strongest bond that can exist between individuals. It's a lifelong relationship and it's an intimate relationship. Right? In other words, something about this covenant, something about this re relationship is different to other relationships. It's different in terms of its lifespan, its longevity, it is forever. And then secondly, it's different in terms of its quality as well. It is intimate. And so my relationship with my wife is different in its, in its quantity and in its quality. And we understand that God made us with this longing as human beings to be in covenant relationship with Him and with those around us and also with ourselves. And so relationship and covenant relationship speaks about a quality of relationship and intimacy of relationship. And that is part of our humanity. We can't talk about being human without speaking about this desire that we have as humans for this quality of relationship. And so if this quality of relationship is missing, if it's not there, then we tend to look for that quality. We tend to look for that satisfaction. We tend to look for that fulfillment in all sorts of different places. And this is where sin comes into the equation. Because, because what sin does is sin comes to lead us away from that covenant relationship. And so we understand, yes, we have been created for covenant, but we also understand that as human beings, we have pulled away from that covenant. We have allowed sin to come between us and that relationship. And so we are in need of a savior. And so, so our human relationships, these two components within a biblical perspective are so important. And the one in covenant, we've been created for covenant, on the other hand, we've messed things up, right? We have walked away from that covenant with God. And so our relationship with God has suffered. Our relationship with ourselves suffer. Our relationship with those around us suffer. But we understand that we need someone to lead us back to that quality of relationship. We need someone to lead us back to that, to that place. What the Bible refers to as the Garden of Eden, which was more than just a physical space. It was more than just... A, a beautiful place without chaos and without pain. It was a quality of relationship which Adam and Eve had with God and which they had with one another. And Jesus comes and Jesus saves us, saves us from our destructive tendencies, saves us from our propensity to pull away from God. And He's both our Savior and He's our way. So He comes to save us, but He also comes to show us a new way. And that new way we call discipleship. That new way, the new way, the way, Jesus. And what's the purpose of discipleship? The purpose of discipleship is simply, I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to become like Jesus. So we understand that Jesus was so much more than just a good human being. He was both God and human, fully God, fully human. But He's the best that humanity can be. And so if we want to understand, and if we want to answer this question, what does it mean to be fully human? <laughs> What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it mean to live a fulfilled life? Then we need to look to Christ. We need to emulate Him. We need to follow Him. We need to pursue Him. And that is the journey of discipleship, which you guys have embarked upon and which Bible school is a part, wanting to become more like Christ. 
right? So, so that's our foundation when we tackle this module around holiness. Now, holiness is, is a topic that very often we can try and tackle in isolation. We can try and look at it from different angles, and it can almost look like it can stand on its own, but it can't, right? Holiness builds upon all the other fundamental core doctrines, which we have already taken a look at in Bible school. So just quickly to refresh your memory, we've looked at salvation and grace in module nine. In other words, Jesus comes to save us. He comes to redeem us. He comes to pursue us, to look for us, to make us his own. And he pours his grace upon our lives. And so he, 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 he gives us his strength in our weakness, all right? And we've looked in module 10 at our identity. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're no longer primarily Afrikaans-speaking or Dutch-speaking or German-speaking or Sutu-speaking. We are a part of the, the household of God. And so there's a greater reality to our identity than just our skin color, our cultural background, our ethnicity, our language, our, our, our social standing. There's something more permanent, there's something more powerful than that. I'm a child of God, All right? And so we've also looked at the power of forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. And module 15, uh, where we said that it's impossible to be reconciled unless we have repentance and forgiveness. So salvation, grace, um, discipleship, all of those things, repentance and forgiveness, all of that form the foundation and the context in which we're now going to talk about holiness. Otherwise, what can happen is that the, 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 the issue of sin, which you guys did in module 7, the issue of sin and holiness can become very uh, condemning very often. Because I know, as I'm sitting here, that I'm struggling with some stuff, right? I've, I've known the Lord Jesus since I was three years old, came to salvation, I remember the moment, remember the hour, well, not the hour, I remember it was night, when I came to salvation, I knelt next to my dad um, at the bed, gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I know that I struggled with some stuff. I've got moments in my life where I can clearly see how God intervened particularly when, when um, um, after I gave my life to the Lord three years old, I backslid a little bit and came back to salvation five years old. When my mom drove out the demons of fighting with my brother, she drove it out of us, locked us in the bathroom, and then the fear of my mom fell upon us. It was a moment for me to come back to Christ. The fear of mom fell upon me, right? So it was a discipleship moment, and I will never forget that moment. And I'm sure that many of us, we have moments where God intervened, be it through a parent, be it through circumstances, because we're all on this journey, right? And so when we talk about sin and when we talk about holiness, I've got my struggles, you know, you've got your struggles. And so we're having this conversation on a level footing, right? In front of the foot of the cross. We understand that holiness isn't uh, a project. It's not a Bible school curriculum. You're not going to walk away here. And after you've done this Bible school curriculum, suddenly you're perfect. Now we're on this journey of growth together. So we want to grow together. And it's my heart that as we, we tackle some of these concepts, that we will be able to give you some more tools that will enable you on your journey of growth. It's important to understand that all of us are vulnerable, each and every one of us. Perfection will come to us one day when we are in heaven. We're not in heaven yet, right? So all of us are vulnerable to sin. All of us are vulnerable to temptation. And it is important to have the humility to acknowledge that and even just to breathe out, all right? 
If you are struggling with sin, if you are struggling with some stuff in your life, and we know sin can be the sense of uh, commission, the things that we do that we know we shouldn't be doing, can be sense of omission, the things that we know we should be doing and we're not doing it. You know, it's an old smorgasbord of stuff that can really try to lead us away from God. And all of us are on that journey. I love what John Newton, the former slave trader, uh, turned evangelist and him writer said. He says that throughout all my years, as I've grown in age, I've realized this, that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And I love that. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. And so God wants us to, to make a peace with that fact, but at the same time, wants us to stay away from two extremes, two, two extreme responses when we talk about sin or when the subject of holiness is put on the table. And the first response is one of pride or self-righteousness, right? So what does that do? How does that manifest? Pride manifests in a whole lot of different ways. One of them is that one tends to compare oneself to other people, right? And so normally you would compare yourself to those whose sins are a little bit more overtly in your face. Like the Pharisees did. Hey, God, thank you. At least you didn't make me a prostitute. At least you didn't make me a tax collector. And so that's a sign of pride. And so one of the things we need to be aware about is when we look at topics like sin, is that our minds don't start going off and wondering to the sins that other people are committing. Now we wanna, we wanna be looking at ourselves here, hey guys? We wanna be looking at the stuff that's in our own heart. And pride would deflect, pride would deflect. Hey, God, it was Eve. Hey, God, it was the snake. Always deflecting, pride. Pride can also cause us to become judgmental of other people. And so we will be pointing the fingers at others. We'll be quick to judge them um, instead of, of extending mercy towards them as well. And, and of course, the most important fallacy and deception of pride is that it would want us to believe that we are now at a stage or at a phase in our lives where we've read the Bible enough, we've been in ministry long enough, we've been on so many mission trips or we've seen so many breakthroughs in our business that we are beyond sin. So what happens? We become complacent. We start to leave windows and doors and gates open to our soul, to our spirit, to our bodies, and the devil has free access, right? And God doesn't want that. So that's the one extreme pride. We shut off this, this module. is an amazing module for my mother-in-law, but not for me. You know, this sermon is amazing for my rebellious kid, but not for me. And, and God doesn't want us to be on that extreme. The other extreme, of course, is one of shame. And so we begin to look at ourselves and we begin to interpret God's actions towards us, our engagement with other believers through the lens of our sin. And so in other words, we allow our sin to define us. I'm now no longer a child of God first. I'm no longer a saint in Christ first. I'm first the sinner. I'm first the angry guy. I'm first the alcoholic. I'm first whatever it is that you might be struggling with. And we begin to wear that as I'm wearing this blazer as part of our identity. We begin to own it. We begin to allow it, it to define us and it begins to isolate us from those around us. Um, a better way, of course, of looking at this is to understand that both shame as well as pride, all it wants to do is it wants to disconnect us from ourselves. So, so pride prevents you from seeing yourself for who you really are. Um, and shame does the same. Shame also just wants to disconnect you for whom God has created you to be. Pride wants to prevent you from seeing the, the weaknesses. Shame wants to prevent you from seeing the beauty. And both of them, 
are extremes and both of them are wrong. A better way of looking at it we find in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 to 13. And I want to read that for us um, quickly. Paul is speaking, he's, he's speaking to his friends in Corinth, the church community that was really struggling with some intense sins that they had to battle through. And he says, now brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolatrous as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things, all of these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks that he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. A couple of things we need to, to notice here. We, in essence, are no better than our spiritual forefathers, right? So if the Israelites who saw God's amazing, miraculous working power within Egypt saw him destroy the Egyptian army within the Red Sea, if they could in a moment throw it all away, then so could we, right? It's important to, to remember that. The temptations come to all of us. Everything that you are going through, everything I'm going through, it is common to humanity. You are special to Christ, but also remember this, that you are not that special, that the devil comes against you with something that hasn't come against anybody else yet. So we share in our humanity the same propensity for weaknesses and for sin. But an even greater truth than that is the reality that God is faithful, right? So our common humanity, we share the same weaknesses, the same propensity to fall. But our common humanity shares something else. We are equally loved by a faithful God, all right? Equally loved by a faithful God. Humanity's pull is away from God. If you read scripture, if we look at life around us, you put people in a perfect environment, in an environment where there's beauty and there's structure and all of those things, just give them a, a little while, things begin to unravel. Humanity tends to pull away from God. That is our propensity because of our fallen nature. We pull away, we want to hide, we want to get away from God. But God's pull is towards us. Ours is away from Him, His is towards us. And guess what God's pull has overcome? Right? God's pull is stronger than the pull of sin. And you've got to know that. The fact that you are here right now, and I'm under no illusions. I know some of us feel that we're victorious in certain areas, and some of us feel completely beat up in this very moment. But God's gravitational pull on your life is stronger than the pull of sin. And I want you to know that He's got a hold of you. He's faithful. He is faithful. Sin and shame. They, they want to, pardon, sin manifests itself in pride and shame, wants to come and wants to undermine something so beautiful that God has given us, our integrity. All right, what is integrity and why is it so important? 
Integrity is critical. It's one of the, the biggest weapons God has given us in our armor, in our fight against sin. Right? Integrity is, is, is the ability to embrace who we are consistently, to be honest about who we are, and to invite Christ into those parts of our lives. Um, I've heard this saying, I think it was John Andrews who did a short course here with, with us in Shofar a while ago, a couple of years ago. And he says that God cannot heal the person that you are pretending to be. God cannot heal the person. He cannot heal the person. He cannot deliver the person. He cannot save the person you are pretending to be. And shame and pride wants to remove us from knowing who we really are. Like the Pharisees. You know, Jesus... Jesus couldn't do a lot of healings amongst them. Jesus couldn't save many of them. He came for the lost. He came for the lame. He came for the broken. But they pretended not to be broken, not to be, be lost. And so he couldn't do a lot of stuff amongst them. So as we acknowledge that, Christ can come in. So what, what, what do we talk about when we talk about integrity? Job 2 verse 3 is this beautiful passage of Scripture where God actually says to Satan, Satan, you're not going to find anybody else who has greater integrity than Job. And this is amazing. It comes from God. And God says this about Job. And of course, Satan's accusation against Job was that, look, God, he's only worshiping you because you have got everything sorted out for him. You've given him the most beautiful wife, the most amazing, beautifully talented kids. You've made him a landowner with a lot of livestock and stuff. That's why he's worshiping you. It's easy. And so God allows Satan to Test Job. And what remains at the end of the day is that Job, and then read the story, he goes through his questions, he goes through a lot of the doubts and stuff, but what does not get taken away from, from Job is the fact that he is a worshiper, right? It's his integrity, the value that he was holding on to was that I am a worshiper. That's who I am. You can take everything else away from me, but I am a worshiper. And that is what integrity is. Integrity is, is the faithful support of a standard of values, right? So, so Job had a fierce commitment, a passionate commitment that even though, even though things were to fall apart around me, I'm going to be zoned in on this one thing. I am a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. I will not curse God. I will not turn my back on God. I'm going to worship God. And so there are these two components to integrity. The one is there's a set of values. There's a standard. Think of a flag in the olden days that would be raised in front of an army going out to battle. Or nowadays, when we would have sporting events, you would have a banner. And there'd be something that would be a rallying call, an anthem, uh, a standard that would be flown. And people would see that and you would pull everything. The whole army would be pulled towards that stand. Everything, all the troops, the infantry, the cavalry, everything would be pulled towards that standard. And so values, integrity is like that. It's a standard. Everything in my life gets pulled towards the standard. I value honesty. I value service. I value forgiveness. And so these values are unchangeable. They are changeless. They don't differ whether I'm on the pulpit or whether I'm at home. They don't differ whether I'm in the Netherlands or whether I'm in Burundi. They are the same. They're changeless and external circumstances don't determine my internal values. Right, so there's a, there's a standard. But secondly, there's a cost, there's a firm commitment, there's a dedication to these values that integrity cannot do without. 
Integrity has to have values and it has to have a white knuckled, I'm going to hold on to this even if it costs me everything. And so this is who I am. I'm going to stick to this. I'm counting the cost. And so I'm saying no to certain things because I've already said yes to certain other things. Right? And so my choices and my priorities, they flow out of my values. And that's what integrity is. Integrity says I've decided that I am going to be a faithful husband to my wife. I've decided that. So by the time I'm in the moment of temptation, I've said yes to being faithful to her. So I'm saying no to these temptations. Um, let's remember this, that God gives us so many gifts, health, spiritual gifts, um, resources, relationships, so many beautiful things that God gives us. And all of those things, the one stage or another of our lives will be taken away from us. Integrity in the truest sense of the word is the one thing that we really own. Cannot be taken away from you. Whether you're in, a, in a, a small little prison cell, whether you're living in a mansion, your integrity is your integrity. Nobody can take that away from you. Let's look at Psalm 86 uh, very quickly. It's going to be our, our core um, Bible reading passage for, to, um, for today. And so here we see the psalmist, wow, guys, just having this incredible encounter with God. All right, and his encounter with God determines his values because, because here's the thing, I, I, we can all talk about values and we can say, yes, integrity is about having a, a set of values, but, but whose values really? If we look at history, we see that there were many people who were true to their values. Many dictators, emperors who were willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to their set of values. So it's not just good enough to say that I'm a principled person. It's not just good enough to say that I have my values. The, the question is, what forms your values? Like the mafia had a set of values that they honored secrecy and they held to that values, but they used that value of secrecy to build a billion dollar a criminal empire. So, so where do we get our values? Uh, is it nurture? Is it, is it what we, what we, what we um, get from our environment? And that plays a role. Is it nature? Is it what is part of our, our, our um our personality and our DNA, from a biblical perspective, I want to hold before us that our values come by, come by and come via revelation, revelation of the Word of God, because that is where we get our values from. Who does God say He is? Through His Word and through His Spirit. And this is what we see the psalmist reflecting upon. Psalm 86, verse, uh, verse 8 says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And this beautiful phrase he uses, unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Shul. Take 10 minutes to reflect on and discuss this session's key Bible passage together with others in your class. If you are watching on your own, take a few minutes to reflect on the key Bible passage by yourself. One of the beautiful concepts we get here is when the psalmist prays, unite my heart, and he speaks here about integrity. 
that speaks of a whole unit, one solid unit, almost chipped out of one block, a singleness of purpose and a value system that integrity refers to. And he says, God, come and unite my heart, unite my spirit, my soul, the impulses of my body, all to flow in one direction towards you, towards you. Why? Because the values that I wanna have in my life as non-negotiable are the values that need to reflect who you are. So he starts off with this vision, who is God? And then in the light of who God is, he's building his values. Teach me your ways, God. So God, because, because I understand that, that you are one, I wanna be one. And I understand that sin comes in, sin wants to disintegrate. Sin wants to come and uh, disintegrate us, scatter us, shatter us into different pieces so that my spirit is in one space, my soul is in another space, my body is in another space. In a very real way, I begin to feel a little bit schizophrenic. I've got a spiritual existence and yet my emotions don't want to line up. My body wants to do its own thing. Sin wants to drive a wedge in between the different parts of who we are. Integrity through the grace of God pulls all of that together, calls body, soul, spirit. Hey, come together under the banner of Christ's likeness. Come together under the banner of who God is. And so, and so we understand that we wanna be holy because He's holy. We understand that because there's no shadow or turning with Him, I wanna be honest. We understand that because God's throne is a throne of justice and righteousness, I wanna be just. We understand that because it is His kindness that leads us to repentance, I want to be kind. So what is integrity in conclusion? Integrity is a firm commitment to the values that reflect the character and the glory of God. That is integrity, a firm commitment to a set of values, but not just a set of values, a set of values that reflect the character and the glory of God. Why? Because in essence, what we have been created for is to be image bearers of Christ. Sin wants to shatter that image. Integrity through the power of the Holy Spirit wants to bring that image under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful sign of a whole heart, integrity. Where you see integrity, you see there's someone who's whole of heart, someone who's on this journey of having his heart be one. And it's also the strength that keeps our heart from splintering. In moments of the deepest pain, the deepest chaos, the deepest confusion like Job found himself in, he could bring his heart back time and time again to what he knows of God and who God has created him to be. It means that when I don't have the answers, my integrity brings me back to my vision of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our students. Thank you, Lord, for the power of integrity that we can ask you to impart into our lives. Lord, so that we would truly, from the depths of the privacy of our hearts to what we confess with our mouths to the outside, be one. Thank you for the journey of being able to bring all of our lives under the Lordship. Lord, to bring all of our lives under the Lordship of your character. We wanna reflect you, Jesus. Teach us your ways, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy your practical questions and I will see you guys in the next session. Blessings. Take 15 minutes to reflect on and discuss the following points together with others in your class. If you are watching on your own, take a few minutes to reflect on the points by yourself. 
You can find the discussion points in your Bible school handbook. Look out for the Living the Word sections in each session.